Good morning, church. It is great to be with you. My name is Jeremy, the lead pastor here. Uh, shout out to those of you watching or listening online. So glad to have you guys a part of this with us as well. This week is Thanksgiving, and uh, God laid something on my heart that I want to lay on your heart and see if you would uh, pray about. Uh, but I was just thinking, you know, whenever there's a great holiday for someone, it often means a very sad holiday for someone else. And that's kind of the way that the world works. And, and as a church, we want to be the church in all things and, and figure out how do we do that. And, and so here's my ask of you is, would you consider uh, taking some time and go, hey, who are the, the people in your life that you know that don't have a home for Thanksgiving, that would love somewhere to be? And, and it might be a very different experience unless they had a chance to be with a family like yours. Uh, and in particular, I want you to think about single people. Okay, that might be someone in their 20s. But it might be a widow uh, or a, a divorcee or someone who never got married and, and would love the chance to be a part of your family. Maybe it's a single parent with kids and you invite their kids over. Or, or, or maybe it's someone whose spouse is going to be away on travel and, and, and wouldn't normally have a Thanksgiving like this. But I just thought, what a great opportunity for us to be the church. And so I just want to encourage you, look around you, uh, ask some questions, some, just, hey, uh, do you have something? Would you like to be a part of it? Uh, your family will be enhanced by being the church through this. And together, we can give ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Sound good? Wow. I mean, after all that, I'll, I'll just be done. I guess, what well, I don't know. Sound good? Is anybody with me? All right, thank you, church. We're on a great start already. Okay, week seven, we are wrapping up our I Am series. Uh, if you've got your journals and you've made it through this journal, the whole series, way to go. Uh, go to, to week seven, you'll see a spot to take notes. Even if you don't have a journal, I encourage you to get something out to take notes with. Get your Bibles out like we do every week today. We're going to be in John chapter 15. So if you've got a physical analog Bible with you, you can grab that. Or a Bible app on a phone, I encourage you to get that out as well. Today we're going to look at an image that, uh, again, is kind of a strange one where Jesus is going to call himself a vine. And if you've not really studied Jesus, if you've not experienced much of him, you may go, yeah, that's a bit weird. Why are you calling yourself a plant? Uh, but we're going to see why in just a moment. Now, one of the things you have to understand is that a lot of these uh, illustrations, when Jesus would use these, these were very familiar to the people that he was talking to. Now, in particular, the vine was an image that got used a lot in the Old Testament, uh, even uh, in, in a spiritual sense. Now, a lot of times you have uh, Israel represented by the vine. And so God will talk about his people in the Old Testament. He would say, this is my vineyard, this is my vine. And, and so it's not literally describing the vine, but, but it's a metaphor God liked to use throughout the Old Testament to describe his people. Let me show you one such example. In Psalm chapter 80, it says this. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. Now, is he literally talking about plants here? No. Well, what is the, the vine that was transplanted from Egypt? Remember uh, that the people uh, of Israel were in slavery in Egypt. You have the Exodus. You have Moses and all that. This is what's being referenced here, and he's using the image of a vine to communicate this. Now, what you have to know, too, is that oftentimes, probably more often than not, when God used an image of a vine, it was in a negative sense. And so oftentimes it was like, well, you're a disobedient vine. You're an unhealthy vine. You're a vine that's not growing the way that it should. And in all of these, God is represented as the gardener. So you have the gardener who is tending to the vine, and then you have this vine that oftentimes throughout the Old Testament was not living up 
to what God wanted them to do. Now with that, uh, Jesus is going to speak into them. And again, bring this with you, because this is probably what they had in mind. And, and I want you to hear what Jesus says in light of how they had heard it. And so again, they're going to go, okay, we're using vineyard language. We understand Israel's the vine. We've been here before Jesus. But what you're going to notice is that Jesus is going to change it. He's going to update it, and he's going to add a twist to it. And so we're going to see how this uh, is worded today. John chapter 15, begin reading in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, if you are with us a few weeks ago, we talked about when he said he was a shepherd. He didn't just say, I'm a shepherd. He said, I'm the good shepherd. He's qualifying it because of what they understood about shepherds. Same thing here. He's qualifying the vine because of what they would have thought of in a spiritual sense when it came to the vine. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So Jesus takes a common image and he turns it on its head. Now, the, the, the gardener is still represented by God the Father here. So that part hasn't changed. But notice, Israel is no longer the vine. Who's the vine now? Jesus goes, I'm the vine. You can imagine them going, uh, hold on, Jesus, I thought, I thought we, we were the vine? He's like, no, 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 you're not the vine anymore. I am the true vine, and you, each of you, are a branch attached to the vine. And so he's taking this image and he's updating it, and all of them would have been leaning in going, okay, what, what's he doing here? What, what, what does this do? How, how does this change our understanding of this image? Now, if you're writing things down, here's uh, one of the things to write down that you'll begin to see in this image. The closer you get to Jesus, the more vibrantly you'll experience life. Now, I encourage you to write that down because what you're going to realize in this whole passage is this is a, an illustration of Jesus trying to give us life. And if you understand it in that context, you'll understand a lot of the nuances of what's being said here. Now, I cannot think about this story without going back to uh, one of my preaching classes when I was in college. And I was a preaching major, and, uh, and what that meant is I got to go through a lot of awkward preaching classes. Now, here's why I say awkward. Um, they were preparing us to preach in, in real t time, but what they would do is you'd get in this class with about five other students, because not many preaching majors. And, and so you would preach a sermon to preaching majors who are about to preach a sermon back to you. Nobody cared about what one another was saying, right? And so we're all just working on our own messages, and it was totally awkward. But the thing I remember the most was the first day of class. Our professor gets up, and he goes, all right, here's how we're going to grade everything on these sermons. And you, you know, you're learning the criteria, okay. And then he says this, uh, let me show you what I keep on my desk. And he pulls out, and I'll never forget this, pulls out a sign. It was laminated. And in big red block letters was the word heresy. And he shows us, and we're all like looking at it, and he goes, I will keep this sign on my desk. And if any of you begins to preach heresy in the midst of your sermon, I will hold it up, and you automatically get an F. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure, right? I'm thinking, I'm still working out some kinks in my theology at this point, you know, like, all right. And so he's like, the, the moment you begin heresy, sign goes up, you get an F on this sermon. 
So like the fear of God comes into all of us. We're going, oh man, this is intense. And, and so I was a little bit nervous. And every time I'd begin preaching, you know, I'm looking at the five students in front of me who are not looking at me because they don't care. And then I'd always be glancing back at the professor and like, is he, is he grabbing anything on his desk? Is he, you know, is he moving over there? Because I was paranoid of this. But here's the deal. I never saw him use it. And so I got a little bit disappointed by this. I wanted to see some good old heresy called out. You know what I mean? And I'm like, man, after all that buildup, I never got to see the sign even used. So I remember a few years down the road, I'm still taking preaching classes. And, and finally, I, I connected with an, uh, an upperclassman who was uh, a few years ahead of me. I said, what's the deal, man? I said, this heresy sign is bogus. I said, I have never once seen it. I said, have you even heard of him using it? He looked at me and goes, only once. I said, really? He goes, I was there. I'm like, I got to know what happened. He goes, all right. So the student gets up and begins preaching. And he preaches on John 15, what I just said. And he gets to this part and he goes, yeah, seen a vine. He's like, kind of a weird image for Jesus to use. And here's what he says. What Jesus should have said was, oh, he's grabbing the heresy sign. You can't say what Jesus should have said. It's like, you can't do that. Everyone's like, oh, you know, and it's like this whole moment and it became legendary because he called Jesus out on this image and said, yep, shouldn't have used the vine, should have used something else. So I want to illustrate this today. And what you'll notice is this is not a vine. Um, Here's the deal. We looked into getting a vine, and uh, if I preached this sermon about two months ago, they would be perfect to use for an illustration. But right now, most of them look pretty sad. They don't have grapes, and most of them don't have leaves on them. So we wanted something a little bit more robust to use. And so I asked our team, and I said, hey, can you get me something that is green and has branches? And in the Northwest, they found me a lemon tree, <laughs> which I don't understand. But okay, we're going to go with this. So here's the deal, though. Um, I'm not using a lemon tree because I think Jesus got the vine wrong. Okay, please don't tell my professor that. I'm still a little afraid of him. Um, I'm using this just just for illustration point. I think Jesus got the image right. But uh, I'm not Jesus. I'm going to use a lemon tree to communicate this. Now, let's think about what's being said here. That, that, okay, so God is the gardener. Jesus is the the tree, the, the vine. We are the branches. And did you notice the role of the gardener? You notice the way the gardener is described. The gardener is very active. This is not a passive gardener. This is not a gardener that just says, hey, hope the tree works out. Uh, Theologically, that's called uh, theism. The idea that God has put everything in motion and took his hands off. That's not what's depicted here. It's a gardener who is very active. In fact, he's so active, he cuts every branch. Do you notice that? Cuts every branch. There's two kinds of cuts, though. The first kind of cut, uh, he'd call pruning. And so pruning, if you know this, is is where you take this and you go, I'm not going to make a huge, substantial cut. I want to make a a smaller cut. And so pruning is just going, I'm just going to take just something little, just a little. And and, and pruning uh, is what happens in this illustration to the healthy branches, which means if you today are in a healthy place with Jesus, you can expect to be pruned. Anybody excited about that? Any amens to that? No, no. Uh, You're going, wait, 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 pastor. If I'm healthy, I'm going to get pruned. That's, that's what Jesus says in John 15. That if you're doing well, you're healthy, you're growing, you're thriving, you can expect to be pruned. Some good news for you today. But then there's another kind of cut. 
And this cut isn't uh, a pruning kind of cut. It's a, it's a more substantial cut. Let me pick my, pick my one here. Don't do it. Hold on. There's thorns here. It's really painful. Wow. It's hurtful. All right. There's a different kind of cut. This cut is when you say, um, I'm taking like the branch with me. And we don't want to be a part of that. Now, here's what I would say. Uh, there's like a, you can apply this in a big sense and a small sense. In a big sense, you can say, I don't want to be attached to the vine. And God is a gentleman. God will not force himself on you. So if you say, God, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to do my own thing. God goes, all right, I'll let you. I'll let you. And we're like, yeah, that's right. I, look at me. I'm my own thing. And, and God will let you do that. But in a small sense, what I have noticed is that sometimes you didn't really like cut yourself off. You just woke up one day and you went, I'm, I'm not attached anymore. And you just kind of have that moment where you're like, I don't, I don't feel close to God anymore. Um, there's not anything happening in my life. I have veered away. I have drifted off. And so in a small sense, you can, you can slowly opt your way out uh, or, or it can happen in a large sense. Uh, but here's what's important to understand. Who does the trimming? The gardener. Who doesn't do the trimming? The branches. No branch is trimming another branch. And yet, how often in Christianity today do we, as branches, tell everyone else the status of other branches? Let me tell you who's in and who's off. Let me cut that branch off because they are not connected to this vine. That's not the role of a branch. That's the role of a gardener. And there's nowhere in the New Testament where you have anyone claiming to know definitively that another person is damned for all eternity. You don't find that. And so today we like to go, oh, that person's cut off. They're, they're not a Christian. And I would just say caution uh, because that's not what you find here. You find that's the role of the gardener. We are called to be attached to it. We are called to live our life with that, not to tell every other branch what's going on. Now, I'm following this. I understand there's two kinds of cuts. Then if you read some of the verses, in verse 3 in particular, it gets weird. Like, the, like he's almost like switching analogies here. Notice what he says in verse 3. You are already clean. Now you might be going, okay, um, talking about life, you know, cuts, little cuts. What does clean or not clean have to do with this? So here's what I've noticed. When you are pruned, you begin to ask some questions. God, why is this happening? Why are you allowing this? Why are you causing this? Why is this going on in my life right now? And in the midst of asking those questions, Satan loves to fill your head with lies. Satan loves to swoop in and go, let me tell you why he's pruning you. Because you're not good enough. Because he's disappointed in you. Because he's disgusted with you. Because you don't measure up. And what happens in those moments when you find yourself being pruned is that instead of going, thank you, Jesus, that you are pruning me, that I am growing, that I am healthy, you begin to hear the lies that have been spoken over you. And some of you, this is, this is why you are here today. This is what you need to hear today. Because some of you, when, when you begin to get that pruning, you start hearing the lies that your ex told you about your kind of value. You begin to hear the lie that your parent told you, that you have kept all your life, and, and you begin to assert that in the value. The, the lies that other people have said over you begin to define you, and you say, well, this is why I'm being pruned. Instead of realizing that God is an active, loving gardener who is bringing you life. Why do you prune a plant? Why do you prune a tree? 
because you want a branch to be able to hold more. So if I was going to prune a lemon tree, it's because I want the lemon tree to be able to hold more lemons. I, I want it to have more fruit, not less fruit. And so the reason why God prunes us when we are healthy is not to say a value statement upon you of, hey, you're just not good enough. Maybe someday I won't have to do this. No, it's a statement to say you are already clean. And I'm going to give you more life. I'm going to give you more than you can even imagine. It's a very different place to understand. And some of you, maybe that's why you're here today. You just need to be reminded, you are already clean. Stop listening to the lies around you as to why you're going through this or why this or that is happening in your life. God is preparing you to give you more life than you could previously handle. The closer you get to Jesus, the more vibrantly you'll experience life. And I'll just keep reading the passage, and we're going to see him double down. In case you're confused, okay, who's, who's what? What's going on here? He's going to explain it again. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Okay, we got it. Uh, if you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown to the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, there's a phrase in there. You might have missed it if you have grown up in the church, if you've read this a lot. We, we tend to just gloss over certain things. But notice the phrase, apart from me, you can only do a handful of things. Apart from me, you can do some things. Apart from me, you can't do as much as you might have done otherwise. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, in case that has lost its controversial edge to you, imagine after church today, you go over to your neighbor's house, you knock on their door and say, hey, I just want to give you an encouraging word uh, from our pastor. We learned this at church today. That Did you know that if you are disconnected from Jesus, you can do nothing? Have a great day. Who wants to sign up for that? You go, that's, that doesn't sound very good, right? But that's what Jesus is saying here. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And there are some of us that go, well, clearly Jesus doesn't see me. He doesn't see what I can do. I can do a lot apart from him. And, and our ego kicks in. Oh, oh, pastor, you, think, you don't think I can do anything without Jesus? Let me show you what I can do. And you begin to realize this is where we define our life. Where is our life coming from? Now, it's a real practical illustration. If I take this branch and I go and I put this on my dresser, and I say, all right, I'm going to look at this every day. It's going to sit on my dresser, uh, and I'm just going to watch it until it produces lemons. I'm going to be watching it for a while, right? It's not going to suddenly produce lemons on my dresser. Now, given enough time in the right situation, this will produce lemons. The tree will. But the branch will not because the branch is now disconnected from the life. So I can go and I can put this somewhere and I can look at it and go, look, it looks like very similar to that. And yet it is not connected to a life source. Apart from Jesus, this is what you look like. You can do nothing. You have no life infusing you. Now we often hear this passage, we're like, oh, he's, he's threatening us with hell. He's talking about burning up. What's going on here? I think it's a very practical illustration. Have you ever pruned a plant? You ever, you ever cut branches off? What do you do with them when you're done? You don't save them. 
You don't put them in your living room and go, oh, these are be great decorations. You get rid of them. They have no functional purpose anymore. You go, well, there's no fruit going to come from this. So throw it away, burn it, do something. It's a practical analogy of when something is void of life, you, you don't keep going with it. And this is the illustration he's giving for all of us. And yet there's, there's something in us that you go, well, I, who would choose that? You know, I, I want to be connected. No, no one would actually choose that. Yet the reality is we all choose this, sometimes in little moments, sometimes in big moments. You ever have that moment where you're like, hey, God, here's the deal. I've got some plans on Friday night, and if you could be busy with someone else, that would be great because some stuff's about to go down. <laughs> and you know what you're walking into. You know where you're about to go do. And you just kind of hope in your mind, hey, maybe God won't be around for it. Maybe God won't be a part of it. Uh, our son, Mattson, I remember he was about four years old. I remember a conversation I had with him and came into the living room one day. And he said, hey, Dad, can I go play in the garage? It's like a weird request. And I'm like, uh, yes. You know, I'm like, why do you want to play in the garage? You know, I'm like, okay. And so he, he looks at my answer. I say yes. And he goes, okay, great. Then he leans forward. I'll never forget this little four-year-old version of him. He says, Dad, you don't go in there. I'm sorry, what? what was the last part about that? Um, what? You don't go in there. I said, why not? No, no, Dad, I'm going to play in the garage. You don't go in there. And I said, okay, here's the deal. Uh, I don't agree to these terms. I'm for sure going in there now because I don't know what's about to go down in there. Like, what's going on? And, and so we have this little negotiation, you know, as much as you can with the four-year-old. And so finally, I'm like, Matson, what is it that you want to do in there that you don't want Dad to be around for? Sheepishly looks down his feet for a moment. He says, well, I want to climb on your car again. <laughs> it was the again in the sentence that <laughs> caught my ear. I said, what? Yeah, I like, I like to climb on your car, Daddy. Okay, time out. We're not playing the garage anymore. I'm like, what, when have you been doing this? You know, and, and what's going on? And, and it was like this whole thing, and, and yet my little son knew. I don't want dad to be around for that. And later that day, I was driving, and uh, the sun, like, perfectly hit my windshield. And I see these footprints going up my windshield. See, he knew he was going to do something bad, and he didn't want dad to see it. Ever been there? Hey, God, uh, yeah, I know I shouldn't do what I'm about to do. I know I'm living in disobedience. I know this is not what you designed me for. I know this is not healthy for me, but, but I just need you not to be around for a little bit. Well, the reality is you can fool your parents. You can fool your spouse. You can fool your coworkers and your boss. You can fool most people around you, but you will never fool God. See, God is always around you. God is there trying to offer you life. And in these moments where we think, I'm, I'm gonna, I know best, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to thrive apart from you, Jesus is sitting there weeping over us going, why would you choose that? When I want to give you life, and there's something in our heart, like a little four-year-old that goes, ah, God, don't come in here. God, don't, don't be a part of this right now because I just, I just want to have my moment. And anytime you choose this, and this is what sin gets us to choose all the time, anytime you choose this, you are choosing to have less life than God wants you to have. 
God wants you to experience what he could do through you. And anytime you say, I want to opt out of that, you are robbing yourself of what God wants to do. And this is what sin tells you. This is a good trade. God says it's not a good trade. Don't make that trade. Now, we see this elsewhere in Scripture because the point he's making, and notice the assumption here, is that if you're connected, you will automatically have fruit. And if you're not, you won't have fruit. It's a very simple logic. So if you're connected to the vine, there should be fruit in your life that should be evident as a result. We find this in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire, thus by their fruit you will recognize them. See, I could tell this was a lemon tree if there were lemons on it. Oh, it's a lemon tree. You can tell a, a grapevine because there's grapes on it. You can tell an apple tree because there's apple. You can recognize, oh, that's what kind of a tree that is because I see the fruit on them. And the point being, if you are a Christian and you are connected to the vine of Jesus Christ, there will be fruit in your life. Now, some of us are going, uh-oh, I don't feel like there's fruit in my life. I, I'm, I mean, I'm here, and I'm, I'm trying, and I want it to be true, but I don't know that, that you could recognize me by this kind of fruit. And maybe this is a little bit of a stressful image to you, going, I can't keep up with other people who can have more fruit than me. Now, it's helpful to go back to the Greek here, uh, because most of your translations probably say we are to bear much fruit. It's the, the most common you know, English translation. It's the Greek word pharaoh, okay, which is an interesting word. Pharaoh, which we often translate as to bear, is literally the idea of to carry, okay, literally to carry something, that, that God will give you something and you are called to carry it. But this is a long, drawn out process. This is not an immediate poof, I've got fruit in my life. You are called to carry what God is going to give you. Let me illustrate this another way. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is fruit you should be able to recognize in the life of anyone who claims to follow Jesus. You should see these things. But imagine that you have spent decades, you spent your whole life learning how to be a jerk. And you're really good at it. And all of a sudden you decide, you know what, I don't want to be a jerk anymore. I don't want to be that person. And so you go, you know what, I want to be a kind person. So tomorrow, everyone who's known me as a jerk will now know me as a kind person. Good luck. It doesn't happen like that, right? How does it happen? You have that moment where you go, all right, Jesus, I'm a little bit of a jerk, but I don't want to be. So would you help me to be kind? And then he begins to teach you. He begins to show you. He begins to give you some of that fruit in your life. And yet you can't support much of it at first. And so he just gives you a little bit. And he starts to help you learn how to be a kind person. How to respond in kindness when you want to be a jerk to someone. It's a slow process of God giving you fruit. I would say it this way. We don't create fruit. We carry it. See, what many of us are trying to do is, I want to just create the fruit. Just give me the results. Instead of going, Jesus, what do you have for me? My hands are open. I'm ready to carry whatever you bring my way. No, 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 no. I, I, need, to, I, I need to create it. 
See, you realize you have two ways to, to focus on this. If you want to be a person of fruit, you can either focus on the fruit itself or you can focus on the vine. There's two ways to approach this. Now, the problem, if you focus on the vine, who knows what Jesus will do? I mean, if you're connected to this, yeah, he might give you fruit, but he might not go as quickly as you want him to go. And you might be ready for more fruit and he doesn't bring it. And so he just wants you to trust him. And so instead of that, what I have found is that a lot of Christians go, yeah, that's great. I'm not going to worry about the vine as much. I'm going to focus on the fruit. I'm going to create some great fruit in my life. And that way I don't need to be so reliant upon the vine. And so instead of focusing on the vine, we focus on fruit. I'm going to create some great fruit in my life. And, and it's going to look great. And people are going to see. And people will know how connected I am to Jesus. So we do things that by themselves are great. Um, but we do them with the wrong motives. I'm going to read my Bible every day. Now, I'm not actually expecting it to change me or to shape me or God to speak to me, but I, I'm going to do it so I can check it off my list. I read my Bible. I'm going to memorize some verses. I'm going to go to church every week. And so people will see me. They'll know that I'm there. Now, I'm not going to participate in the life of the church. I'm not going to give or serve or be an active part of it, but I'll be there. And so people will see that I have fruit. I'm going to be in a life group. And so people know that I'm really deep. Now, all the rest of the life group is going to hate me because I'm such a jerk to them. But I will be in a life group. And so look at all of the fruit in my life. And like I said, the, the challenge with this is you can convince your spouse, your parents, and your family, and your coworkers, and the people around you in your life group maybe even. You can convince a lot of people, wow, look at the fruit in their life. They must be so dialed in to Jesus. And yet from Jesus' point of view, he's going, you're not connected to me. You're not connected to the vine. And so what this is, this is an artificial win. And the problem is we don't realize how funny this looks to God. Because we can convince everyone else. And everyone goes, man, that fruit in your life, that's amazing. It's amazing to see what God's doing. And you go, I know, isn't it? And God's going, I'm not doing that. That's not me. That's you. And so we can keep deluding ourselves. So in case that you're going, yeah, that's kind of me, let me try to illustrate. Uh, because everyone else won't see this. Let me, let me suggest what I think this looks like from God's point of view. You ready? Thank you. Thank you. I'm a pretty spiritual person, guys. I got a lot of fruit happening in my life right now. God is doing some things. And, and we look around and we go, check this out. God's like, um, seriously? Okay, you want to know what this is? This is religion. This is all that you do to impress God, to get to God, to impress those around you. Look at the fruit in my life. He might even go, see, it's yellow, just like the other fruit on this tree. And God goes, that's a banana <laughs> on a lemon tree. Yeah, but God, it's both yellow. I mean, let's, let's not argue that, right? Now, you might go, well, what's the big deal, Jeremy? Because, I mean, yeah, there could be a lemon here, but there's a banana there. So what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. If I were to leave this tree here for two weeks and we don't move it, that will be a little awkward. But if imagine we just left it right here, who would be interested in eating this banana two weeks from now? And some of you are like, well, I can make banana bread out of it. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? 
I'm saying you're just gonna put that banana right down, right? No, because this thing is gonna be black and rotting and dripping off of it. Why? Because it is dead. There's no life connected to this. It is not growing. It is not thriving. It is a unsustainable win. And you can spend your whole Christianity doing this, trying to impress everyone, trying to look the part. And Jesus is going, what are you doing? I, I never gave you that. I never asked you to do that. And you will exhaust yourself in this pursuit. Let me say it a different way. We don't bring fruit to the vine. The vine brings fruit to us. If you get this wrong, you will never experience the life that God has for you. And yet, so much of this is, what can I bring? What can I do? How can I impress God? How can I impress the church? How can I? No, you realize if I'm connected, God will bring fruit to me. Now, if you're going, okay, Jeremy, I'm in. How do, how do I do this? I, I, I don't want to be that person. I, I want to experience this. Well, you may not have noticed, but the solution is in the passage we read. You might have missed it because it's only mentioned eight times. <laughs> it's the word remain. This word is said eight times in the verses that we just read. Remain, remain, remain. Now, you might go, well, remain is kind of a weird word, and it sounds very passive, like, so I just kick my feet up and God's got to do the rest. That's not what he's talking about here. Uh, one commentator that I read had a great phrase for it. It is active stillness. It is when you are actively choosing to be still next to God. And so it's not like, hey, I don't do anything. God, I'm looking at God to do all the work. But it's also not this thought of I'm going to some, somehow make something happen. It is realizing what Jesus is offering me. Now, so often what we do is we go, okay, um, I will experience life on the vine on the weekend. And then Friday night, the weekend, Friday night. Guess what? You will never thrive when that's your mentality. Jesus is inviting you to live on the vine. Don't visit it. Don't come occasionally. You live here. You, you are expecting this is what shapes me. I don't go and visit it when it's convenient or when I feel guilty or when suddenly I've hit rock bottom and then I'll give it a shot. I choose to live there. And, and, and here's the reality. Some of you, you're praying, God, God, please do something crazy in my life. I want you to do something amazing. I'm watching other people around me. You're doing amazing things. And you're going, God, come on, give me more fruit. Here's really some of you God's looking at you going, your branch can't hold it. I can't give you more fruit. It would weigh you down. See, God's trying to do some things in some of your life, and you're going, I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. Why am I getting pruned? And God's going, because I got more fruit for you. See, some of you, God has got amazing things he's trying to do in your life. He's trying to set you up for it. You just have to trust him. You just have to be on the vine to be a part of what he is going to do because he has got some fruit coming your way. But if you are disconnected and you just try to do it on your own, you will never experience the life he has for you. I was thinking about another way to illustrate this. When I was a kid, uh, I grew up in the 80s, and so we had 80s video games. Anybody else grew up on 80s video games, which were like the best video games, the little rectangle controller and two buttons is all you get, you know? And it was awesome. And there's one game in particular I remember. It was a Top Gun video game. I think it was for like the, the NES, you know, just original. And this game was awesome. You know, all these things with, you know, fighter jets. And, but I remember there was one level that I could never beat. And I would get to this level in the game, and then it would shut me down. And, and the level in the game was you were in this airplane, and you had to uh, refuel in midair with another jet. 
Now, this was like impossible to do. And I remember thinking, who designed this game? Who designed this level? And I would get little kid rage. You know what little kid rage is? It's like that rage that is so disproportionate to reality, you know? And I'm like, oh, this is the dumbest thing ever. And just to illustrate this, let me show you a screenshot of what this looks like. If you're a kid in the 80s, this might be a trigger for you like it is for me, okay? This was the level. You would have to fly your jet and sync up with this jet so that you could refuel in midair. And I could never do it. I would crash. I would take the other jet out. I mean, like, everything would go wrong. And I remember as a little kid going, this is the dumbest game ever. Why can't I refuel on the ground like a normal plane, you know? Like, who came up with this? And then I got a little bit older. You know what I realized? They do this in real life. <laughs> Did you know that? Like real life airplanes can do this. And then I got a beautiful picture of what it means to remain. See, the reality is he's going, look, you're going to have to fly this sucker. You're going to have to live your life. You're going to have to go somewhere. And you can fly wherever you want. But if you want to fly forever, if you want to never run out of fuel, you're going to have to sync up with Jesus. And if you will fly next to him, you will never run out of fuel. You will fly, you will see more of the world, you get to experience more things. And yet the temptation is, no, I'm not going to let you hold me back. I'm going to go fly where I want to fly. And then we wonder, why am I running out of fuel? Why are things not working out? Why does this feel so hollow, so empty? And Jesus is going, well, I'm offering you something that you're, you're not experiencing. You're not taking advantage of it. See, I love this image because what we have to do for this to work, these two airplanes have to be still together. They're moving at crazy speeds in midair, but they have to be still together. They have to link up together in motion together in order for it to work. And this is a picture of the Christian life. When you find Jesus, you go, look, I'm not flying on my own anymore. I know I'll run out. I'm flying with you and I'll be connected with you. And wherever you go, that's where I'm going. Now, I wanna close with some good news for you today. You might be going, okay, I want this, but... I'm not ready for it or I'm not good at it or I've never experienced it or whatever. Let me show you an amazing thing that the Apostle Paul does with this image that Jesus uses. In Romans chapter 11, here's what Paul says. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Paul's going, look, you feel like your life has been disconnected. You know what Jesus can do? He can attach you back to the vine. I literally can't even illustrate this for you. I don't have a way of grafting this back in, but this is what he's offering us. Oh, you feel like your life is out here? Why don't you come back? See how easy it is to go, oh, I missed it. I blew it. I've done too much. My life's too messed up. I've made too many mistakes. I've got too many issues. Jesus goes, hey, I'll, I'll graft you back in. If you want to experience life, I'll, come on, I'll graft you back in. Now, the reality is some of you today, this is you. you. You have chosen to be apart from the vine, and you are not experiencing the life that he has for you. And the invitation for you is go back. Go back to the vine and allow him to graft you back in. Some of you have never experienced life on the vine. You, this is all you've known. You're going, I wonder what that would be like. It's an invitation for you. Come on over. He will graft you in. You get to experience this kind of a life. And some of you, you got to stop taping bananas to lemon trees. <laughs> you need to go, you know what? 
I might be able to fool some people around me, but this isn't sustainable. This isn't real life. This isn't even what God has asked me to do. And you need to change your heart and go, all right, my hands are open, God. What do you want to give me? I want to close with a, a quote from an author named Grisella Kreglinger. And she writes about the unique nature of a vine. And I mentioned before, did, did Jesus get it wrong when he said a vine? Why did he use a vine instead of a lemon tree? I think there was a reason why. Consider this. Of all the plants that serve as a source of food, the grapevine, like no other, can grow and be productive in the most adverse agricultural context. It thrives in stony soils and on the steepest hills and is most productive in places where little else can be grown. Christ's faith, fruitfulness comes to a climax in a place where seemingly no life can be found in the cross. Why a vine? Because a vine can grow in places where a lemon tree can't grow. A vine can have life in the most adverse conditions. And this is the life Jesus has for you. It's the life in the midst of defeat, in the midst of de de despair and, and depression and discouragement. And you go, I'm hopeless. I, I don't know how to do this. And, and in the midst of that, Jesus offers you the vine. He says, you want to experience life? In the midst of crucifixion, he goes, hey, you want to you experience life? And this is what he offers all of us. So if you're not experiencing life, if you're apart from the vine, why don't you come back? Why don't you realize the invitation and experience the life that is truly life? Let's pray together. Jesus, may we realize what you're offering us. May we realize this incredible gift that we don't have to make the fruit. So many of us, we're, we're trying so hard. We're trying to create the fruit. We're trying to focus on it. And we're exhausted. We're tired. And it doesn't last. It's not real. May we see this incredible invitation to remain in you, to choose to live on your vine and experience the fruit and the pruning and the life that you have for us. May we realize this incredible invitation, even if we have been on our own, even if we have never experienced it, that we can be grafted in to this kind of life. May we, on all of our communities and wherever we're watching, may we all experience this life that you have for us. And may we know what it's like to thrive in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.